I'm just kind of mindful that yeah, we've heard quite a lot of really amazing testimony uh, through this through today. You know what God is doing through the YMCA, uh, what God is doing in healing, and what God does through Alpha, and, and and the way that God uses us by the power of the Spirit. So in this in this story, I just really want to make one particular point because I think it's the thing that the Lord just wants to remind us um, and kind of add that to what's already been said. So if we jump into this story really quick, David has just defeated Goliath. It's been a really stunning victory. And King Saul is this first king of Israel. He's anointed by Samuel. The Holy Spirit has rested upon him and he's got everything going for him. But he makes some missteps and some disobediences so that means he loses God's favor. And God then says through Samuel that his kingship is over and that God has, in quotes, given the kingdom to a neighbor who is better than you. And we are just starting to see who that neighbor is. And this word reinforces the sense that Saul has always had about himself, which is what Samuel says about him, is that he is little in his own eyes. And Saul goes on about how he is from the humblest of the clans and the least tribe of Israel and so on. And when Samuel actually wants to declare him king, you may well know that Saul can't be found because he's hiding amongst the baggage. He has a very small sense of himself. And he does not have a proper assessment of who he is and the gifts that God's given him and the anointing that God has placed upon him. And he sees everything and speaks and acts through this lens of insecurity, which turns into something worse. And so King Saul likes to gather brave men around him as if to bolster the sense of his own self. And so at this point he takes hold of David. And David is probably not yet quite 20 years old. He's a young man. He's fresh from this incredible victory. And Saul takes him from David's father's house and puts him in his own house. Now David, think about David for a moment. His name means beloved. And everybody loves him. Saul's son, Jonathan, as we'll see in a moment, loves him. His daughter, Michael, loves him. In fact, his daughter, Michael, will marry him uh, towards the end of the chapter. Saul's servants love him. The people all love him. The women sing songs about him. They all think he's really amazing. And he is very successful. Saul sends David out on missions and against their perpetual enemies, the Philistines, and it goes so well that Paul puts him in charge of the men of war. Now, given that Saul is already insecure about his position, he begins more and more to see everything framed by fear, framed by envy, framed by paranoia. And you can see this in two episodes, which Derek read. One is the episode with the song, and the other is the episode with the music, the first episode with the song. King Saul and David, they return with all the soldiers from defeating the Philistines, it's a triumphant battle, and the women come out singing, and the words to their song are this. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Now, uh, we, we kind of read that in one way, but the, the Hebrews read that in a way like this. That both lines mean the same thing, they're synonymous, but they intensify as they go through. So you'll have read in the Psalms things like, a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand. So they're not saying anything about Saul, and, and Saul would have known that. And the purpose of the song is rejoicing simply that God has given them victory. And he's given them victory over both Saul and David. But insecure and paranoid Saul can't help but take it the wrong way. 
takes it as an offence, he takes it as a threat, and he's angry and decides to keep a close eye on David from that point onwards. So we come to the second episode, which is the episode of the music. And in that state that Saul is in, he gives room to an evil spirit to control him. It's what St. Paul says in Ephesians 4 about not giving the devil a foothold. Well, here, Saul gives the devil a foothold in his own life through his anger and through his sin. And not only is David King Saul's warrior leader, he's also his music therapist. So that when, uh, when Saul gets in a mood because he's troubled by this demonic spirit, David plays music on his lyre, essentially, uh, you know, a guitar type of instrument, and, uh, and Saul is refreshed and the demon leaves him. But at this time, when King Saul's troubled by an evil spirit, he's raving and he's going crazy. And at this point, the music therapy is starting to work, wear off. And it's symptomatic of where Saul is at, that he sits around at home with a spear in his hand. I mean, do you sit around at home with a weapon in your hand? There's something going on in him here, which is not that great. And uh, he tries to, he tries to um, kill David twice. He's essentially a bit hopeless with a spear because he misses him twice. And Saul has come to see that God's presence and favour have left him and that David has plenty of both. And in the end, Saul does what uh, he really needs to do in that state, is that he removes David from his presence. So that's how Saul responds to David. Jonathan, by contrast, is completely different. So Jonathan is Saul's son, the crown prince, the same age and the same generation as David. And Jonathan immediately recognises a kindred spirit. Immediately after the Goliath victory, he recognises another warrior, a greater warrior than he is. But just like Jonathan, they both fought the Philistines on their own and been victorious. And Jonathan immediately loves David as much as he loves himself. There's this huge bond of love and loyalty and affection between them from the off. Now, think about this. Given that... Jonathan is the heir apparent. He's the heir to the throne. But David is the one chosen by God to become king. We might expect Jonathan to resent David at this point, or at least be suspicious of him, and like his father, keep an eye on him. But he doesn't. He really, straight away, he loves him both intensely and emotionally. And more than that, Jonathan instigates what you might call a covenant love. Now, what a covenant does is it, is it brings structure to love, like a marriage covenant does. And Jonathan, at this point, it says that he gives David his royal robe. He gives David his armour. He gives, he gives him his sword and his bow and his belt. He divests himself. He strips himself of the marks of office. He gives them to David and he says, One, you know, I will not be king, but you will be. It's an incredible action. And the covenant says, like a marriage covenant does, it says, even if my love over time sort of wanders and fades, I choose this because it's what God wants. And if you remember, David tried on Saul's armour uh, in the Goliath incident, and he didn't like it, it wasn't for him. But this armour, which declares that he is the future king, he's really happy to put on. And in fact, Jonathan's love for David pre-echoes Jesus in that, for the love of God, 
Jonathan surrenders his status as king, his relationship with his father Saul, and his physical safety. He's sacrificing an enormous amount uh, because of his love. Jonathan lays down his kingship so David can become king, foreshadowing King Jesus laying down his life for us so that we could become partakers of the divine nature as we've just been celebrating in bread and wine. So, the writer of 1 Samuel really wants to draw at this point a massive distinction between how Saul responds to David and how Jonathan, his son, responds to David. And the essence of it is this. I think that Saul doesn't know who he is. He knows who David is, and he's afraid of him. But he doesn't really know who he is. On the other hand, Jonathan really knows who he is. He knows who David is, and he loves him, and he prefers David, and he promotes him. And Jonathan is the one like Jesus, and he is the model for us to follow. And sometimes here we, we use the phrase, know who you are and know what you carry. Know who you are and know what you carry. Know that you're a beloved son and daughter of the living God. Know the gifts and the anointings that God has placed in your life that he wants you to use to further his purposes. Know how God has made you, how he's wired you, how he's gifted you, how he's anointed you. And take your place in God's purposes and in God's house. That's one thing. But the other thing is also true. As you look around the room today, understand who your brothers and sisters are too. Understand how God has wired them and gifted them and anointed them and prefer them. Do whatever is in your power to cause them to flourish and to become all that God wants them to be without fear or envy. And that kind of posture, that kind of way of seeing yourself and seeing other people takes a lot of courage, takes humility as we see in Jonathan, and takes a, a willingness to see the big picture that God is drawing and the purposes that he's drawing out. But he has called us together to know who we are, to know who our brothers and sisters are, and to prefer them and cause them <coughs> to flourish. So I wonder if we might pray together for a few moments. In fact, I, if, if I may, I'd like to lead us in prayer, if that's okay. So, if you're able, shall we stand? And I'm just going to lead us in a prayer. And maybe if it helps you, um, as, we're gonna, as we are sort of presenting ourselves to the Lord, Uh, you can put your hands out in front of you or put your hand on your heart or something. It's good to make a sign towards God. And I'm simply going to pray that we know, that we thank God for the way God has made us and gifted us. And we thank God for one another and the way that he's done that for each other. So I wonder if you pray aloud after me. Heavenly Father, thank you that you made me. Thank you that you wired me. Thank you for the gifts you have placed in my life. Thank you that you have anointed me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you that I am a beloved child of my Heavenly Father. 
And I acknowledge that today. And I stand in that reality. Let's hold that for a few moments. And let's pray again. And Heavenly Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for the way you have wired them. I thank you for the gifts that you placed in their life. And that you have anointed them with the Holy Spirit. And I prefer them. And I ask you to help me to help them flourish in Christ and to fulfill the purposes which advance your kingdom, which you have for them. I bless them in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's hold that moment.